from Capital Public Radio in Sacramento. This is Insight with more new conversations as we begin November. I'm Beth Ruiak. President Trump has been tweeting today about the whistleblower in the Ukrainian call case. But yesterday, he posted a tweet that read, The governor of California has done a terrible job of forest management. I told him from the first day we met that he must clean his forest floors, regardless of what his bosses, the environmentalists, demand of him. Then the president writes in the next tweet, Every year, as the fires rage and California burns, it's the same thing. And then he comes to the federal government for money help. No more. Get your act together, governor. The president adds that the teams of firefighters have been working well together, but that water lanes need to be opened. So let's look at all this politically. It is the first Monday of the month, and Ken Rudin is joining us from the Washington, D.C. area. Hello, Ken. I was so happy until I heard those Trump tweets. Good good morning, Beth. You know, you and I have had a long, ongoing discussion about whether we should talk about these tweets or not. But this week is the first anniversary of that horrendous campfire in Butte County. And the point from this part of the country is that a war of words like this at this time is traumatic for people who are still struggling to recover. But you're on the other coast. Tell me how you see and hear it. It's more than it's traumatic, yes, uh, being in California, but it's certainly regrettable and disheartening from around the, from across the country, especially at a time when California is going through such calamity and such tragedy. The thousands of people who have lost their homes, the the the, the thousands of acres that have burned, and and this is vintage Donald Trump. He's had it in for California from the beginning. Well, first of all, it's it's always fun for him to poke to poke at California because they are the leaders in climate change and of course with all these fires and and the drought as well, everything that's going on in California, it plays into Donald Trump's mantra that California is mismanaging its own affairs when 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 his tweet to Governor Newsom saying that you're not going to get more money because you're mismanaging. That's exactly what he did with Puerto Rico when Puerto Rico was at its lowest edge and everything was so so awful uh, with with the hurricanes in Puerto Rico he tweets that uh, you know you you don't deserve the aid because of mismanagement this is what he does but i think he has special enjoyment doing it poking fun at california given the fact that it was california and it's 4 million votes uh, more than than hillary got hillary clinton got rather than donald trump is what what enrages him about the golden state And today happens to be the day that, because of the technical language, the president can actually begin the process of pulling the U.S. out of the Paris Climate Agreement, which is something that he has long said that he would do. Gavin Newsom did give an interview to The Washington Post. He said to them the same thing that he tweeted back to the president, and he wrote, You don't believe in climate change. You are excused from this conversation. And then Kamala Harris added, raking leaves is as effective at combating the climate crisis as your phone spell check is at fixing your tweets. Gavin Newsom is doing his job. Maybe you should try it. You know, this is I mean, I understand the frustration you're hearing from Democrats in California. And I understand the the desire to one up somebody with with a quip. But this is just so. It's just so depressing and disheartening, given the fact that it's coming at such a horrific time for California. And this is something something that California is probably going to be living with for years and years to come. Power outages and fires and hotter temperatures, hotter hotter climates. And uh, that seems to be more 
of an opportunity for Trump to belittle the leadership of California rather than to do something constructively. So can you reference that the president throws tweets around like fireballs and that today, as I said, he's on to some new topic? Is any of this more than that? You know, the Republican support and what may show up in our primary vote might be the lowest since the Civil War, we're told. The polls show actually Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden doing so well in the state. Um, Is there any other politics to the, the taunting and the poking? Well, it is vintage Trump. I don't think, I mean, the only political thing I think of is the fact that the president seems to know, and his advisors certainly know, and both parties seem to know, that he doesn't have a, a snowball's chance of carrying California in 2020, just as he was badly defeated in 2016. But but I know that every time he attacks California, he attacks first Jerry Brown, now Gavin Newsom. It, it, it excites his base. It makes them... Uh, even more confident that that climate change is a myth, it's a hoax, and it's more about mismanagement than real real change in in climate. So, if he's looking at polls at all, and you know the president is always looking at polls, I think it's just a feeling that what have I got to lose by insulting the people in California? The problem, of course, is that there are a lot of repo- there are still a lot of Republicans in California who will vote for Donald Trump, and there are a lot of farmers in the inland areas who are going to perhaps lose their livelihood because of what's going on, mocking them or d- diminishing their 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 uh, tragedies is just. Well, I'm, I don't know how many times I've used the words beyond the pale on your program, but this this rates up there with it. You know, the next conversation I'm going to have in this hour, Ken, is about the 25th anniversary of Prop 187 coming up. And as you talk about how democratic the state is, flip back in time 25 years earlier, Republican Pete Wilson was the governor, and there was an atmosphere that was politically different in the state. But my next guest is going to argue that what happened then with 187 opened the doorway for Donald Trump to be elected president and and the flip of the state to blue. Well, I think both are true. I'm glad you're having that conversation. That's absolutely true. I mean, back in the day, you know, when when I was in my 40s and you were not born yet, I mean, the Republicans <laughs> ran California. It was Nixon. It was Reagan. It was Duke Majin. It was Pete Wilson. But demographics, the demographics in California started to change around that time. And Pete Wilson basically knew that the only way he was going to get reelected governor in 1994 was to push this 187 uh, um, uh, uh, you know, and, and and basically, it almost it, it it that in combination with the changing demographics of California, I think has made California a solid blue state. Now every now and then you'll get an anomaly, you'll get a, a celebrity like a Arnold Schwarzenegger. But what happened in in California in the congressional districts in 2018 with the big Democratic takeover? I mean, I'm not blaming everything on Prop 187, but I think the Democratic growth in Democratic politics in California certainly got its start, or at least a big boost, with Prop 187 in 1994. I'm talking with Ken Rudin, the political junkie. We just glossed over the word polls. But I do want to get back to that because there are a lot of polls flying about the impeachment question, the removal from office, the timing of the presidential race with the Iowa caucus and the presidential race itself. So I know you're not a big one for polls, but are they indicating anything significant to you that you are paying attention to? 
Oh, no, no. I, I, it's not that I'm not into polls. I'm just saying that it, it, everything, polls are a snapshot. And what's true in November of 2019 may not be true in February when they vote in Iowa or in November of 2020 when the general election is. So, no, I do follow the polls. And, and I think Nancy Pelosi follows the polls as well, because one of the reasons she held off on impeachment and the impeachment inquiry as long as she did was the fact that the American people were not there yet. Now, I'm not sure if the American people are still there, but, but more and more people are supporting the impeachment and the removal of the president from office. The latest, uh, well, every, every poll I've seemed to see, uh, see, the NBC Wall Street Journal poll has 49% of the American people supporting Trump's uh, impeachment and removal from office, 43%, I'm sorry, 46% oppose that. Now, while that is a very close number, the pro-impeachment and removal forces gained 6% in the last month. So there is a change. It's not a sea change. It's not happening all at once. And maybe with with public hearings in the inquiry coming very soon, that may change as well. But right now, it seems to be a slow growth in the in the support for the removal and the impeachment and removal of the president. Now, nobody thinks that the Senate will remove the president. Right. You need a two-thirds vote, and it's not going to likely to happen, even if it were a Democratic Senate, perhaps. But the fact is Democrats feel that there's, there's been clear uh, violation of uh, their election of duty, obstruction of justice, uh, maybe perhaps high crimes and misdemeanors. And Democrats feel that you know, for the longest time, they were saying, well, we are taking a risk and pushing impeachment. It could backfire us on us at the polls in November. But now Pelosi and many Democrats feel that um, that it's worth the risk because it's the right thing to do. Republicans, of course, are sticking with the president. Ninety percent in some polls show that they're against impeachment. Mm-hmm. And they feel and they argue that this is a, a lost cause and perhaps one that will backfire. Let's talk about the timing of all this, too, leading up to the Iowa caucus. And speaking of polls, it's showing Elizabeth Warren at the top, then Bernie Sanders, then Pete Buttigieg and Joe Biden in fourth in the latest must be a Des Moines Register poll out of Iowa. Um, no, I think actually I think that was a New York Times poll. The latest poll oh, was, was a New York Times poll. But these are important numbers to note and two things to note. First of all, even though you'll see national polls that show Joe Biden ostensibly as still the national leader, the Democrats don't have a national primary. They they may have national numbers, but it's it, it's a slow process starting in Iowa, then New Hampshire, then Nevada, then South Carolina, then California, and Super Tuesday and all the other states. The fact is, Iowa does have outsized um, uh, influence because they may not always anoint the the, uh, the nominee. Although in the last four Democratic contests. All four, Hillary Clinton in 2016, Barack Obama in 2008, uh, John Kerry in 2004, and Al Gore in 2000. I'm glad I still remember that. Um, <laughs> they all won Iowa, and they all won the nomination. So it is significant. So, so I think what you see is not so much what's, what's important to note is not so much what Biden looks like nationally, is what he looks like in Iowa. And if it shows he's falling into third, if not fourth place, and that seems to be the indication all the conventional wisdom about how this race was going to go uh, and uh, could could change dramatically come February 3rd. Also, one more thing to remember, Iowans are known, very uh, long known to take their time and decide very late. 
You know, in 2004, it was Howard Dean and Dick Gephardt who was going to finish the top in Iowa, and it wound up to be John Kerry and, and John Edwards. So things can change, but it's not good news for the national frontrunner. So we just have a few minutes left, and there are two California names in the headlines, Kamala Harris for what's happening to her campaign, and Katie Hill and the battle, the fight that she is in in spite of deciding to resign her seat. And so if you can just deal with both of those topics in in just a short amount of time, I know they're really big stories, Ken, but I, I don't want to let you go without addressing them. No, thank you. And I'll do it quickly. Uh, Kamala Harris, look, she was... Once upon a time, she was leading in the poll, you know, doing well in the polls. She had a very strong June uh, debate, but she's not raising money. She's pulled her staff out of New Hampshire, out of California, even out of Nevada, and putting it all in Iowa. Right now, she's three percent in the polls in Iowa. You're not going, and that's sixth place in Iowa. You're not going to win the Iowa caucuses from sixth place. You're not going to be the nominee in sixth place. She has fallen a long way, and it's Pete Buttigieg and perhaps even Amy Klobuchar you may want to watch as people up and coming in Iowa. Mm-hmm. As far as Katie Hill, a lo- you know, she was, a <clears throat> she was a rising star in the Democratic Party. It's very sad what happened to her. I mean, but she had basically no choice but to resign, not because of what she did is, is so different than other, what other members of Congress may have done, but it's, it was wrong in the fact that Nude pictures of her are being circulated, perhaps, by her estranged ex-husband, but right-wing red state um, uh, websites love to post those pictures, and her career is ruined. It's, it's a shame, it's a tragedy, but it may be similar to what happened to the guy, the head of McDonald's, you know. He did something that was wrong, and he paid the price, and I think Katie Hall, uh, Katie Hill uh, paid the price by resigning. Hmm. And that McDonald's news is is just um, in the headlines, in the news today. All right, Ken, really good wrap-up. And the Washington Nationals, minus one, are at the White House today. I know it's not your team, but it was a big win all around oh, you. It was a, it was a great win, yeah. and it's my National League team. And, you know, for once, for once even though the, uh, the star closer is not going to be at the White House, I'm going to avoid talking about politics. Let's stick with the baseball. It was a fantastic victory for the Nationals. Yeah, it was. All right, Ken, that's a good way to start a Monday. You take care, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Beth. All right, that is Ken Rudin. He is the political junkie. He joins us the first Monday of every month from the Washington, D.C. area. Up next, do you remember the 1994 vote for California's Prop 87? You just heard us talking a bit about it. Gustavo Ariano was in high school. He definitely remembers. And I'll talk with him next. You're listening to Insight on Cap Radio. Insight on Cap Radio. 